If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, join me this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when you look at that text, we're going to start in verse 1, and when you look at it, you might, uh, at first, if you're familiar with the passage, you might wonder, well, how did he come up with the title, If Not Me, Then Who? Well, you're going to get it by the end of the morning, and Joe did a great job laying that groundwork for us this morning from that passage in Romans 10 talking about the beautiful feet. Because we have, as believers, we, it's not a challenge, um, it, it's not a suggestion, it's not a, a recommendation, we have a command. We have a command, and our command is to go and make disciples, period. We debate a lot about it, and, and we're going to talk about some of that this morning. Um, we're, we're good at making excuses. Um, we're good at just not doing it, and we, we complicate it, and, we, and we're going to talk about some of that is this morning as well, really how crazy we make it. Um, but before we dig into that, I just I want to talk about, it ties in, Lisa, it, it really does. Today is July the 31st, and I don't know about any of you if there's any significance to July the 31st, but there's, there is a lot of significance to this day and to us being here together this morning and I want to share that with you but before I do because I always you know I do I love to look things up and so I looked up this date in history because I wanted to know what else took place on July the 31st besides what we're going to talk about in just a second did you guys know that in 781 Mount Fuji erupted on July 31st. It's the oldest recorded eruption of Mount Fuji. Joe was there. Um, another, th another thing on July 31st. In 1790, the first U.S. patent was issued on July 31st, 1790. It was for, it was for I can't remember the man's name, but he developed potash. And he got a, pot, a patent for that. So you didn't think I really knew, but I did. 1971. Some of us were alive then. Yeah. 1971, Apollo 15 astronauts drove the first electric car on the moon for six hours. They took a six-hour tour, not a three-hour tour. They took a six-hour tour, and they made it home. Yeah, they weren't stranded on an island. They made it home. Yeah, they left their car behind. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Battery ran out, and they left the car there. Um, and then here's one of my favorite ones besides the one I want to share with you today. Nolan Ryan recorded his 300th win July 31st, 1990. What a day. Mm. Nolan Ryan. Garrett, I know you don't know who he is. But one of the best. Well, you, you probably eat his beef now, but you didn't ever see him play baseball. Man, 
one of the best ever. Yeah, he does. Ask Robin Ventura. But anyway, those are dates in history, but there's also another significance to July the 31st in 2019, a day that will live in infamy because Karen and I were getting in a U-Haul truck pretty close to about now, actually a little bit later because I was still trying to figure out how to get the last couple of boxes in the trailer. But we were about to get in our U-Haul truck and drive away from Lubbock, Texas, headed to Pflugerville. Today marks that day that we've been here for three years. We always, we use August 1st as our first day in Pflugerville because we got here so late on the 31st that really nothing mattered about that day except we pulled up. Um, but today is the day that we came to Pflugerville three years ago with the mission on our heart to make disciples. Um, and I even wrote down in my notes because I thought it would be funny and I've skipped over it so now the punchline punch is gone. Because it seems like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This last three years has been insane. And I'm not just talking about for Karen and I. For all of us, this last three years have been absolutely crazy. And we left Lubbock, headed into the unknown, headed into an adventure. And here we are today with you by the grace of God. Because the mission that he sent us to carry out is still working. It's still rolling. It's still moving. We're, we're still going forward. So for us, we're celebrating with you today because we, we can't believe, one, we can't believe that it's been three years. Two, we can't believe that we've survived three years. And three, we can't believe that we're here with everything that's gone on. So it's, it's just so exciting to think about where we have all been, all of us together now, where we have been for three years. Um, and some of us weren't together then and, and have come into the family since. It's, all, it's kind of been a, 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 a whirlpool, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just kind of been a whirlpool as far as uh, what we've done and what we've been through, but it's just, it has been so good. And what I want to talk about this morning, because it's still true for us as a church, and it's still true for us, Karen and I, and it's still true for you, the mission that we have from Christ to go and to make disciples. And again, if not me, then who? Who is going to do what Christ has called us to do? And what we're going to get to really quickly and we'll understand together is that nobody. So we can't not do what God has called us to do. Again, it's not optional. It's not just a suggestion. It's a commandment from Jesus Christ. When we said yes to him and we surrendered our lives to Christ, he said, okay. And he took us at our word. 
And we've got to fulfill that. So we're going we're gonna to look at this from 1 Corinthians 15, that when we read it in a second, again, it's gonna, you're going to have some curious thoughts about why, why this text. But there's a reminder in this for us of what he's called us to do. So let's, let's take a look at it. Let's get into it with a little bit of context, a little bit of, of groundwork, because I always want us together to understand what we're looking at when we're, we're, we're reading what someone wrote down for a group of people then and for us today. That's why it's been put together in the book that we call the Bible. But this is Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, and historians tell us that this was written sometime around A.D. 55. He wrote it from Ephesus. He wrote it on his third missionary journey. And if, if, if you're new to the faith and you're new to the word, Paul, who was Saul, made many missionary journeys. This is on his third, and he wrote it from Ephesus to the church in Corinth, which was a church that he established on his second missionary journey. And if you want to learn some of that and see where all Paul went and what he did, go to Acts. Read the book of Acts. You'll see those, those accounts of, of Paul's travels. But he wrote this to the church in Corinth, and here's, here's some things about this letter. It's just a strong, straightforward letter. If you read it, it's strong. Paul is answering the questions that the church is asking him. They're in the middle of a large metropolitan, cosmopolitan, whatever you want to call it, area where lots of things go on, lots of culture, lots of people, and lots of moral and worldly issues. And the church is in the middle of that and the church is getting caught up in the middle of some of those issues. So they've, they're asking Paul some questions, and he's writing to answer some of those questions. And he's writing also to correct some of their issues that have crept into the church. And again, it's a strong letter. I, I challenge you to read all of 1 Corinthians and read it as a letter. Don't, don't read it as just a broken up book of the Bible with chapters and verses. Read it as a letter written by a man who loves the people that he's writing to and wants the best for them in Jesus Christ. And read it that way like you would write a letter to someone. Read it with that heart as Paul has, is writing it to him. And here's, you know, here's for... Um, here, here's for us what's so important about 1 Corinthians and what we've got to be careful of as a church. We are in the middle of a major metropolitan area with lots, lots of moral issues. And we're called to be here and we're called to do to 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 be Christ hands and feet feet the beautiful feet we're called to be those feet and we're surrounded by thousands of people 
And, and this is what I believe from my heart. We're surrounded by thousands of people that don't know Christ yet. And there may be somebody here this morning that doesn't know Christ yet. But we have a responsibility. And, and here's, here's something for us, too, to think about. God has made so many creatures that he has equipped with the ability to blend in. You know, think about a chameleon. You know, a chameleon has in his or her structure, and I don't understand it all, the ability to camouflage. You know, they can crawl up on a, a tree and change colors and blend in and then go sit on a leaf and change colors and blend in. And that's, that's their defense. Uh, for the environment that they live in. And for us, it can become so easy. It can become so easy for us to try to fit in. It can become so easy for us to try to, to blend in and adapt to our environment. And, and this has been something that we have been talking about a lot the last few weeks. And I've, I've had the, the pleasure, thanks to, uh, to Garrett and to Joe, uh, to have a couple of weeks where they, you know, they shared with us and did a fantastic job and allowed me to have a, a, a break uh, mentally for a couple of weeks. And this has been stirring for a little bit because, and I'm going to tell you where this comes from, this comes from the men's study that we're doing on Wednesday nights. And, and I'll share a little bit about that in a few minutes. But, you know, it can be so easy for us to try to fit into and to adapt. But like we've talked about as Christ followers, as believers in Christ, and, and having accepted, accepted his instructions to us, we're new creatures. We're changed from within, and we don't have the privilege, the opportunity to blend in. Our lives should naturally clash with the world around us. And not in a harsh way. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We, we, we go and we tell and we share in love and in kindness and with grace. But in the world around us that, that is falling apart, in, in our opinion and in our eyes falling apart, we're not, we're not here just to, to blend in and be still and to be quiet. We have something that we have been called to do because as Christ followers, we're just not made to blend in very well. That's just not part of who we are anymore as Christ followers. We're just not, we're not made that way. So let's, let's go to the text. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And then talk about a couple of things from the text. And then also want to share with you from the standpoint of what we've been talking about as a group of men on Wednesday night. But Paul writes to the church down towards the end of this first letter, a reminder. And he says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. In verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ 
died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And this is Paul talking about himself. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, the other disciples. And what Paul is saying, just to clarify, is that he's not working harder than the other guys, but naturally from where he came from as a Pharisee and one who persecuted the church, he had to work a little bit harder in his message to the people. We're going to get to that. Though I was not, though it was not I, sorry, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And here's, here's what Paul is doing. He's reminding of flawed people. Y'all know what a flaw is in something, right? He's reminding of flawed people. And I, I shared with you, I've looked forward to, to this week. This is, this is one of those messages that's been rolling for a few weeks. And then Wednesday night, as a group of guys together at uh, that restaurant I won't name in the recording over in Hutto, we gathered around some hamburgers and we talked about the life of Peter. And, and we had some great discussions that, that fit for what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes this morning. And I got the opportunity Wednesday to listen to this bunch of guys talk about this stuff. And then I'll bring some of that in this morning to share with you as well. Because it's true for us. What we were talking about is in Peter's life where we see the process of God's calling God's equipping and God's sending of him to go out and do what he knows that, that he's been prepared to do. And, you know, God equip, calls, quips, equips, and sends people to reach other people. And I asked you a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago who else could do it? If not me, then who and, and outside of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives, there's not anyone else unless we step up. And for so many people, they may not hear from the Holy Spirit in their lives if there's not someone to share with them, someone that's bringing the message, bringing the good news. And here's the question for us. If God didn't use, I said a second ago, this letter in, in 1 Corinthians is a reminder to the flawed people. And if God didn't use flawed people, he wouldn't use anybody at all. We're all, we are all flawed. We are not perfect. And like we talked about on Wednesday night, Peter, I, I love 
I love to, to read and to study and to look at the life of Peter because there's so much about him and not comparing myself to Peter because don't hold a candle, but there's so much about Peter that I see in my life. And I bet some of you the same way. You know, he, he had an attitude. He was stubborn. He had a mouth that could get him in trouble, right? But God used Peter in amazing ways, and he, he called Peter, he equipped Peter, continued to equip him as he went to do what God had called him to do. And if you read on down in 1 Corinthians 15, you get to verse 58 and you, you see where we're instructed to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is not in vain. Again, that challenge to us that, that we have as a command not to be still and not to do nothing because everything that we do, everything that we do has a purpose, has a place, and has a meaning in someone's life. And all that we're talking about in, in all of these things, because we, do, we make discipleship so complicated and so difficult, all we're talking about is living the life of a disciple and discipling others. And again, you know, we'll, we'll real quick, we'll say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Yes, you are. As a believer in Christ, you are qualified as a disciple. You're called as a disciple. All that word means is a pupil, a learner. I like to refer to it because it's easier for me to remember a student. We are students of Jesus Christ given the command to make students of others as we go and as we live our lives. And we make it so complicated and we wait for somebody else to do it when we're all called to do it every day with the lives we live. I shared with you several months ago, and some of you hadn't heard this, what we call the storm discipleship model. And I think this is, this is a great way to think about this. The first thing of this model is to become a disciple. Garrett, I'm talking about Stephen Storm. Become a disciple. Be a student of Jesus Christ. And we are when we become believers in Christ. The second step is to help others become disciples. Help others learn. Show others who Jesus Christ is through our lives. And then the last one is to help others help others. It's a process. It never stops. And what I like about the Storm Discipleship Model, it helped to help us remember it, it's BD, ho, BD, ho, ho. Y'all, some of you remember when I shared that a few months ago. But it, it's, it really is that simple. We first, as disciples, as students, we live our lives in Christ, and we're pointing others to Christ. We're helping others to become disciples, helping others to become students. And then we help them help others become disciples, become students. And then they're helping others, helping others. And it never ends. It's not just about a class 
at a church or at somebody's house that we call discipleship. Wednesday night, our gathering of men, that's discipleship. We're doing life together. We're discipling each other. We're encouraging each other. We're teaching each other. And we're showing each other how we're getting through life together in Christ. And here's, here's for us where our, our challenge is and where we so easily and I, I, I guess, you know, sometimes even shamefully just we kind of step back and cower back. But this process of discipleship starts with the way that we lead our lives. We all have a circle of influence, right? We're around different people all day, every day. And think about this. Remember this. To be an influencer doesn't mean that you're in charge of something. And to be an influencer doesn't mean that you have to have a big platform. Because we hear that word influencer all the time now. You don't have to have a big platform to be an influencer. Your platform is your daily life and how people see you handle situations in life. How they see you handle situations at work. How they see you handle situations in your family. How they hear you speak to other people. How they hear you speak about other people. And the question for us that we all each personally need to think about and need to consider what do the people around us see and what do the people around us hear are they witnessing a child of God in action because we use that word witnessing all the time and all that really means is that our lives are an example of Christ. And with our lives and with that example, all we can do, hear this, because it's not about results. It, it's not about a, a particular outcome. All we can do is take people towards Jesus as far as they want to go. They may not want to go the distance like we have. And there's nothing that we can do about that and nothing that we can do to control that. But what we do with our lives, with our example, with our words, is we give people a nudge. Everybody around us, everybody in this city and everybody in this world deserves and needs a nudge. And our lives can be that for them. Jesus is going to do the rest of the work. But our lives are that example. Our lives are an example. Our lives of discipleship, being students and pointing others to Christ. And again, I told you, we have a moral authority given through the Holy Spirit and we have an obligation. And hear this from the Word. We have an obligation from Scripture. I know I've told you this, so now I'm going to show you that I'm not just making this stuff up. Acts 1.8 you will be my witnesses. This is the words of Jesus Christ. You will be my witnesses. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We're told to go and make disciples as we go. That's the, that's the words in the translation. As we go, we're making disciples. The example of our life. Jesus' words to the apostles in John chapter 20. So I am sending you. 
Those words are to us as well. Jesus is sending us. And then a model that is to be repeated in a, in a verse that I, I love, 2 Timothy 2.2. And if you've done anything studying models and discipleship and other things, you've, you've heard this verse. But the last part of the verse, teach these truths. Teach the truth of the word to other people who will be able to pass it on to others. It goes on. It's a, it's a cycle. And how we face this call and how we face this command shows whether we're a part of the problem or we're a part of the solution. Because we can sit back and do nothing and complain about the world around us and be part of the problem. Or we can step in as believers, fulfilling what we're called to do and be part of the solution as we share with our lives and prayerfully people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've got to be willing and I know people have to be willing to accept but we have to be willing because it's our mission and it's our duty as believers to carry this out. And, we, and we've talked about you know, the, what, we, what we hear and what we know from Jesus Christ. And don't we want other people to know that and to experience that? Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses three and four, and this is this is the kind of the the meaning to everything that Paul is saying because he's he's reminding them of, of the truth of the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. He was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and in him is where our hope resides, where our hope is camped out, where our hope is hanging on to, and as we live as disciples to make other disciples knowing that he is coming back. And we can read that, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And for us as believers, that's the end of what we call the mess. He, he, he'll take us out of this mess. But how can we? How can we as believers and how can we, knowing what Christ has done for each one of us, not want other people to know that and to have that freedom and to have that same hope to know that when he returns, they'll spend eternity with him, not separated with, from him in what we know is punishment forever. How can we want 
And, and think about it. If we're, not, if we're not willing with our lives, with our voices, with our example, and, and with our words, share Jesus Christ with other people, how can we not then say, and this is harsh, but how can we not say that we don't want other people to suffer and to perish and be separated from God if we're not doing anything? I, to me, that's, that's, that's contradictory. We can't say that we don't want people to go to hell and not do something with our lives and with the truth that we know. We can't. You've heard me say it before. That love that we know from Jesus Christ should compel us, compel us to share, to go, and to tell. Because we know who we were were we know where we came from and we know what he did in our own lives and that he loves us enough and we know that he loves his creation his world he loves man he created man in his image and again we don't know and it's not our responsibility to worry about who is or is not going to be responsive to the word of Christ. But it is our responsibility to go and to tell and to make disciples and share with others as we go. And, and a, a lady that I respect immensely that passed away just a couple of years ago with cancer, she had a saying that was kind of her, her life saying that fits exactly what we're talking about this morning if not me, then who? But what Mrs. Johnson used to say, if it is to be, it is up to me. And I think that, I think that fits for us as believers as well. If it is to be, it's up to me. And we, we can't just sit and wait and watch and wonder wonder what God's going to do in this world. It's up to us to be active. It's up to us to speak and share the truth. It's up to us to point others to Christ. Take them as far as they want to go on that journey. And trust God in that process to do what only He can do in their lives. Change lives. So this morning, as, as Garrett comes and, and, and we worship again, let those, you know, let those thoughts just kind of hang around in your head for, for just a couple of minutes. And what, you know, think, what, what is God speaking to you about what he's called you to do? What's God speaking to you about what you're doing? Some of you I know are doing exactly what he's called you to do. But is there more that we can all do? Maybe God's speaking to you because you've, you've just kind of been sitting still for a little while. And he's telling you, it's time. This is what I've called you to do. It is you. It's not the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. It's you. So how will you respond? 
How will you respond to the command of Christ? Not the idea, but the command to go and to make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we just we thank you so much, God, for the truth of and the challenge of your word. And God, I pray for all of us that our lives are fulfilling what you've called us to do. Our lives speak your name before our mouths are ever opened. And that people know people know that we believe in you, that we trust you, and that we follow you. And God, I pray as, as you're speaking to each of us this morning about where we are personally, God, that we would step up, step in, step back in, keep going, and doing what you've called us to do. And Father, I pray this morning that there, if there's someone here that's never surrendered the first time, never said yes to you the first time, and this morning they're hearing you call, God, that they wouldn't wait, that they would respond this morning to you. God, have your way in all of us today and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.